We've been in a series, Cross-Examination. And the Lord put it on my heart today to examine the words that were released from the cross. You're going to hear from some of our best leaders in this church. I hope that you'll open not only your ears, but your mind and your heart and receive from the Holy Spirit what he wants you to receive. Whether you're watching online or in the house, please never, ever overlook the cross of Calvary. Never overlook what Jesus did for us. We're going to begin with Pastor Ron Jones, and we're going to end with our Pastor Emeritus, Dr. Ron Phillips. Would you please give a warm welcome to Pastor Ron Jones as we celebrate the words released from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. They divided up his clothes by casting lots. Luke 23, verse 34. Brothers and sisters, let's take a quick glimpse at the time when Jesus, the Son of God, hung on the cross in the balance between heaven and earth for all of humanity. The words, Father, forgive them, is a prayer. If he had not uttered that prayer, Immediately, the executioner of God's wrath may have been taken because the Father is a God of judgment and also vengeance, but he's also slow to anger and full of compassion. With his compassion, he chose to offer us a means of salvation, even when we were his enemies. Jesus was in unity with the Father. Even on that cross in agony, Jesus' concern was for the forgiveness of them. The only hope for them was him. Jesus had to do for them what they couldn't do for themselves. So now the question is raised, who were the them? Were them the Roman soldiers that executed the crucifixion? Or was it the crowd that shouted, crucify him, release Barabbas? Were them the Jewish leaders that mocked him by saying, he saved others, well, let him save himself if he be God's Messiah, the chosen one? Were them the disciples, the apostles, who was with him daily, now hidden and not mentioned, except for John and that one that denied him three times about even being a follower. Beloved, forgiveness is a conscious, deliberate decision to release the feelings of resentment or vengeance toward a person or a group, even if they don't deserve it. Jesus gave us the example by saying, for they know not what they do. Praise God for them. Them is an indefinite number that represents those I previously mentioned, but it also includes you. It also includes me. All of us need forgiveness for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
Jesus became the sacrificial lamb so that we will have access to the Father. Jesus paid the penalty for sins, the sins we committed deliberately and also the sins we commit in our ignorance. Jesus, mm, it was because of him. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Today, he remains the one mediator between God and mankind. They divided his clothes. Mm. We're at the foot of the cross. The halfway point between heaven and hell. And I'm afraid this morning some of us are still rolling the dice, gambling for a small piece of Jesus' covering instead of receiving the full covering of his forgiveness where you through grace can be justified, sanctified, and forgiven. Have you accepted Christ today? Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. That thief on the cross, Catholic tradition calls him Decimus, Decimus and Gestus. We don't know. The Bible doesn't give the name, but we know that this was somebody who did awful things. We know that he, des- he said he deserved what he was getting on that cross. In the middle of this, his partner in crime looks over at Jesus and says, hey, if you're really the Christ, save yourself and save us too. And he looked over at his partner in crime and said, do you not fear God? We're getting exactly what we deserve, but this man has done no wrong. And then he said these words, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus looks him in the eye and he says, assuredly. Everybody say assuredly. How many know when Jesus says assuredly, it's a sure thing? It's done. Assuredly, I say to you, this is a done deal. You don't have to wonder about it. You don't have to worry about it. He says, assuredly, here comes the truth. Assuredly, then the next word, he says, today. I say to you, today, today. Listen, there's nothing you can do about your past. Some of you came in here, and I don't know what you've done, what you've been into. You may have been in all kinds of ungodliness, but Jesus says to you, none of that past matters because I'm more concerned with today. Today, today is the day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation that Pastor Ron was just telling you about. Today is that day. You can't do anything about the future. You can only affect today. I tell you, assuredly, I say to you, today, it's personal. You, 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 and you, and you. It's not your grandmother's salvation, your granddaddy's, it's not your father's, it's not your mother's. What have you done with Jesus? Have you put your faith and trust in him? Because when you stand before God, it will be you, you, you. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you today, you, and then here's the promise, will be with me. You want to know what makes heaven heaven? It's the fact that we will be with Jesus. That's what makes heaven heaven. You will be with me. Listen, Jesus told us in John 14, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you, that where I am, there you may be also. It's a promise. We don't have to wonder about it. We don't have to worry about it. He said, I've done this for you. If you have put your faith and trust in him, and listen, that thief on the cross had absolutely no merit to approach him with. 
Well, you got to be good. You got to repent. You got to do all that. Listen, the repentance of that thief was summed up in one statement of faith remember me when you come into your kingdom. The other thief was, if you are the Christ, oh, no, that was no faith. The faith that that other thief showed up with is, remember me when you come into your kingdom. There was no doubt in his heart, no doubt in his mind. And Jesus looked him in the eye. He said, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise. Jewish, the, the term is an interesting translation. It's actually garden. That's what it is. And this, if you look up the Garden of Eden mentioned in the, when it's mentioned in the New Testament, paradisio, same word. If you look in Revelation, when it says, to those who overcome, I'll let them eat from the tree of life that is in the paradisio. Same word. You will eat in the paradisio. And Jesus heard that statement. And in the spirit, he took that bloody hand that was nailed to that cross, and he reached over and he grabbed that thief on the cross. And with the other hand, he reached up to his Father in heaven and said, God, this one's done nothing to merit this, but will you please accept him? And he did. Thank you, Jesus. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. John 19, 26 to 27. I asked myself a question. Jesus, why would you leave your mother with a disciple? So the answer was this. His brothers and sisters did not believe on whom he was. So how can he leave his precious mother with non-believers? He couldn't do that. Because when everything was said and done, she was going to need someone to comfort her and love her. So his love for her was immeasurable. You see, love is a funny thing. People do things for money, uh, for, for love, that they would not do for anything else. Love endures all things the pain, the sorrow, everything, it endures it, okay? It's something amazing that God had given us with our walk as mothers to love our children, to provide for them, to nurture them, just like Mary did. She had Jesus in her bosom every day, giving, her, giving him milk every single day to sustain him. Did she cry when he fell? Sure, of course. She loved him. And he loved her. So in this love atmosphere, she came to serve. She served the minute that the angel came and told her that she was going to bear a son. He was not like any other son. He was going to be magnificent. He was going to be amazing. He was going to do something great for his people. You see, when he came upon her, it was a miracle. When he is in us, the Holy Spirit is for us. But when he comes upon us, it's for everybody else. And that's what he came to do. When he was hanging on the cross, he served. He served with the blood that he shed for our salvation. He shed with every stripes from the spike cords that shredded his back. He says, with my straps, you are healed. He served even to the end when he was in heaven. How did he serve? He was making intercession for all of us. Till this day, he still serves. She came to serve. 
their almighty God by giving birth to an amazing man that has served us all his life. As mothers, it is our responsibility to pray for our children. Jesus baptized his mission, his ministry, with prayers. We need to do the same over our husbands, our children, of everything that comes in our way, whether it's a stranger or not, because it is our responsibility to take that mission which has been given to us as children of God and carry it through. There are no cowards in God's kingdom. We have been empowered by him to do the work. All of us, there's no exception. So I ask you today, go forward and do what you're supposed to do. Mary did, Jesus did, why not us? And if you're not thought of giving your life to the Lord, today is a good day. I'm asking you to think about what our Lord did on the cross. Don't let it be a waste. Come to him. If you've tried everything else and it hasn't worked, I guarantee you, he works because he continues to serve in our behalf. Thank you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? Don't you hear my groanings? Why have you forsaken me to this torment, to the hours in the darkness that I have spent having the stinking, horrible sins of mankind placed upon my flesh. I have been beaten. I have been nailed with spikes to this tree. I have had mockings and torments from every demon known and unknown. But of this one thing I cry out to you. Why, why, my God, my Father, why have you left me? I have been separated by the multitudes of sin, the weight that has been placed upon me. In the darkness, I cannot see you. I cannot feel you. But I cry out loudly. I still have strength because I'm here because it is your will. I am fulfilling your will. You have left me here. You have not intervened. Because I must finish. I must proceed with the plan, with the work that must be done. This is part of the price. Feeling the separation. That is hell. Feeling being separated from you, my Father. My God. I have been momentarily separated so that they will never be separated. 
I have been momentarily abandoned so that you will never be abandoned. I have felt the sting and the loneliness of feeling that God has left me, but you will never feel that because I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And there is nothing that can separate you from me because of the love of Calvary. Hallelujah, hallelujah for the cross. It is going to be finished, and I will not abandon my love for you. And he still cries out for you today. He still cries out because actually he was singing a song. He was singing the song from Psalms 22. Why, oh my God, have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you know what? Jesus, in his love for you, he fulfilled that prophecy. And today he says, I still sing over you. I still cry out for you. I'm at the right hand of God the Father, singing over you, crying out for you. Come to him today and say, yes, God. Hallelujah. Yeah. I thirst. Two words. Two very simple words. With these two words, Jesus identifies with you. His humanity cries from the cross. I thirst. When we look at the cross, we see Jesus as God on the cross being the sacrifice. But we've heard about his mother being in the crowd. Thirst is a human need. And Jesus identifies from the cross, from his humanity. So we've got a God who cares about every detail, even the smallest one. Even in these two words, I thirst, Jesus fulfills prophecy from Psalm 22, verse 15. You'll see it. It says, I'm so thirsty and parched, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth, and now you lay me in the dust of death. Also in Psalm 69, verse 21, it says this, I was hungry, and they gave me bitter food, and I was thirsty, and they offered me vinegar. God is interested in the smallest of details and everything he does in the life of Jesus and in the life of you matters and he has it all planned out. He also speaks of I thirst. This speaks to a teaching that he had done in Matthew chapter 5 verse 6 about all who are hungry and thirst for righteousness, well, they will be filled. See, we don't understand. We don't know exactly when the sin of the world, my sin, your sin, was placed on Jesus, but I believe it was now. Because Jesus cried, I thirst. 
And I believe that thirst may have been a physical thirst, but I also know that it was probably a spiritual thirst because the righteousness that he had carried and possessed had now been transferred to us as the sin of the world was transferred on the cross. And Jesus cried out for the thirst of righteousness that he had known for his entire life and now was gone. We see that transfer in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It's already been preached. Read this in the Passion Translation. It says this, For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. So I want to help you understand this. Jesus transferred the righteousness to you with your union with him. So in him, you are righteous. And if you don't have union with him, may that thirst for righteousness be just as Jesus thirst. Lastly, Jesus had endured torture, torment, and abuse on his way to the cross. Surely his mouth was full of blood and dirt, caked full. He asked for something to drink because what he said next, he wanted the entire crowd to hear loud and clear. He gazed up and he said, it is finished. To tell a star, it is finished. I speak prophetically into your spirit today and I tell you, the enemy is finished. Your struggle is finished. Your doubt is finished. Your fear is finished. This phrase was a mysterious phrase. A military phrase. It was often used during times of war. The general would create a plan and he wouldn't tell his commanding officers what the other commanding officer was assigned to do. They were given their assignment, but they did not know how the entire plan would be revealed or unfold. And then after each officer had led their troops into battle and done what they were assigned to do. The general who was standing on high in a place of prominence would say to Telestai, it is finished. So the soldiers would make one last push towards the victory. Oh, when Jesus said that, it wasn't over because the church was to rise. The bride was to rise. The disciples had to build a church and the spirit had to be left. God is waiting on you to make one last push towards the victory. Has anybody got any fight left in them? You see, his ways are not our ways and you may not understand what God is doing, but if you'll be faithful in your assignment, he sees how the entire strategy will unfold. It was a mysterious phrase. Oh, but it was a majestic phrase. 
Once a year on the day of atonement, the great high priest would slaughter that lamb for the sins of Israel. And when he would come out, he would say, Tetelestah, your sins are forgiven. But the Bible tells us that was a temporary sacrifice. That Jesus, when he died on that cross, paid the ultimate price so that we could be forgiven, so that we could live free and fully alive. My goodness. It was majestic because Hebrew said, Jesus is our great high priest. He was the embodiment of Abba. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's Christ, my comforter. He saved my soul. He's my deliverer. He's my everlasting father. He's the great I am. He is when heaven touches earth. He's indescribable. He's Jesus, King of all kings, Lord of all lords. It was a majestic phrase because he was a prominent king and savior. It said he was king of the Jews, but he's king of my heart. And he should be king of your heart. Ah, oh, it wasn't just a mysterious phrase and a majestic phrase. It was a marketplace phrase. Because when they would do business in the marketplace, when they would pay their debt, they would stamp to Telestah on the note. And what that meant was paid in full. Oh, my goodness. Some of y'all religious folks, y'all trying to pay for something that's already been paid for. You're asking for something that's already been given unto you. God's not interested in your religion. He wants your relationship. Oh, my goodness. A marketplace phrase. But I close right here. It was a miraculous phrase. Because when the king of all kings said it and spoke it, it created a connection for us to his father. We've been reconciled to him. Not with the blood of calves and goats, it says in Hebrews, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Do you know him today? Do you know him? It was miraculous because it still heals. It still saves. Whenever the enemy whispers in your ear and says, you're a loser, you're a good for nothing nobody, never will be, never has been, you say, uh-uh, you've been defeated. And my Savior, according to Colossians, made a public spectacle out of you, triumphing over you by way of this cross. I'm telling you, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. You need to take the enemy to the cross when he comes after you and remind him that he lost, that he's a loser, and that it is finished. Say it with me. It is finished. Father, Father, 
Into thy hands I commit my spirit. I know when people preach they're quiet there, but the Bible says he spoke with a loud voice. He began with Father and took care of our past by forgiving us. And his sayings on the cross, seven, perfection, ends with him saying, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. The heavenly Father, who was in charge at the cross? Was it the religious, political parties of Israel? Was it the arrogant political government of Rome? He said, no one takes my life from me. The Father was in charge. God forsaken of God? Who can imagine, said the theologian. But I believe as we heard so eloquently spoken when it was all over God the Father was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself three gifts are ours when we hear that word from Jesus lips one we have a father 70% of the people born in America today are born fatherless. No marriage, no father. It's a sad, sad day. Maybe the Catholics wasn't far off when they call their uh, leader Pope, which is Latin for Papa. Maybe somehow in this fatherless day, we need to affirm to a lost and dying world, we have a father. When my daddy died, the last words my mother heard him say, this was the last words, and I, 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 they live with me, go call my children. That was his last words. And none of us got there, it happened so suddenly. We were hours away and he was dead in minutes. But thank God he's in heaven now. But when I think of that, <laughs> when I think of that, especially at my age, or maybe the rapture, I believe the Heavenly Father is going to say, go call my children. See, I, I'm not sleepless at night worrying about all that's going on in the world because I got a father not only an earthly father waiting in heaven, but a heavenly father who's watched over me. And while his son was on the cross, he said, Father, to thy hands I commit my spirit. Because he had three, three days of work left. As Ronnie said, he had to go down and put his foot on the devil's head and get the keys and the crown. Take away the enemy's right in your life. We got a father. The hymn says, we have a heavenly Father above with eyes full of mercy and a heart full of love. We got a family. 
in the greatest image Jesus ever gave of, of God. He has a father standing on the porch of the house and a boy smelling of swine swill walking up a road, broke, tattered, dirty, lost. And the father doesn't stand there with arms folded. Well, he got what he deserved. Now the father wrote the check for him to leave. By the way, some of you need to learn to forgive. And the father ran. Joaquin Jeremias, the great Lutheran scholar who was reared in the Holy Land, said that Oriental, Israeli, or Arab fathers don't never run to their kids. And when he said the father ran, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him, it insulted every man there. Because we, you need to understand that you've got a God of grace. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. He is on his way for you. He's going to save you. He loved you first before you ever loved him. Before the first wave broke on the shore of the first earth, he had wrote your name in the book of life. He is your father. He's coming after you. And finally, we have a future. I commend my spirit. See, his spirit was about to leave that crucified body for a while. And so you and I have an ever-living, ever-dying spirit that's, that, that's going to live forever. By the way, my spirit is ageless. That's why you better leave these kids, little children alone. Because they may be little, but their spirit's not. Dr. Dodson Nelson was pastor of Mountain Brook Baptist Church, and I was a preacher student at Stanford, pastor of a little church in Clanton, Alabama. And he came over to talk to us about preaching one day. And he said, you got to tell the people they got a father. No matter what the circumstances. Then he told us this story about a family in his church that had adopted a child from the Baptist children's home. And the stupid teacher at the school, and most teachers aren't that way, but she got up and said, we're glad to have Tim here. He's been adopted. So the other kids begin to make fun of him. You weren't born, you were adopted. The parents got real concerned, so they called Dr. Nelson over. He sat down with the little boy and said, you ought to not pay attention to that son. He said, all these other families had to take what came. Your parents picked you out best of all. I don't care what you've done. You've got a heavenly father that's already running toward you. And if you'll just say, Father, forgive me, you won't get anything else out of your mouth. He will cover your face with kisses. He'll put a robe and ring on you, and you'll be home forever with Jesus. Bow your head, close your eyes with me for just a moment. Our pastor will be coming shortly, but if you're watching online or watching this later, or if you're watching here in the building, you're saved by grace. That means you didn't do anything to deserve it. All you've got to do is believe. Even the faith is a, is a gift of God to you. So right where you are, you can come home to your daddy today. You say, well, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. 
the cross paid for it. He, he forgives you. He welcomes you. He loves you. Paul said in Romans 10, 13, whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So right now, if you're not sure for heaven as if you'd been there a thousand years, if you're fatherless, he is daddy, he is Abba Father, and he'll come into your life right now if you'll invite him. I'm going to lead a prayer, and I want you to pray it after me right here in this room or anywhere you're watching us online. Some of you even in automobiles, pull off to the side of the road, do whatever you have to, but, but don't miss this moment to realize you've got a father, you've got a family, and you've got a future. Right now, pray this prayer. Help me, Abba's house, and pray this out loud with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins on the cross. I believe you're alive in hearing me pray. I welcome you into my heart as king forever. Save me now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer in a minute, you, you've, now you realize that really this is the first time you've really believed it. That we need to hear from you here in the church. Our pastor's going to come now and tell you how you can let us know about that decision. And we can give you some material to help you get started. And we can make sure that you've been baptized and we can connect you with the church and you won't be fatherless and you won't be homeless spiritually you'll have a home and you'll have a father Yes. come pastor stand on your feet all over this room give God a shout of praise would you aren't you thankful for the cross if you prayed with pastor Ron I'm going to ask you to make your way in just a moment to the guest reception area out in the main lobby. I'll be greeting people as they walk out, those that exit that way. And Dr. Jake Carroll, Pastor Angie, I believe, will both be in there. If you want to join Abba's house today and become part of this covenant family, you can do that out there as well. But I believe with all of my heart that many of you have really neglected God's call on your life to invite people to church and share your faith. I don't respect a lot of opinions in church from people that don't bring anybody to church or win anybody to Jesus. I don't. Because that's not the pastor's call. That's the people's job, according to the Word of God. Amen? And we've given you a way to do that in this Who's Your One emphasis. You turned in cards. We've been praying. For your one. And yes, we want you to disciple them throughout the year. But we want that process to start on Easter Sunday next week. Who are you bringing with you? Who have you invited? I'm not trying to beat you up. But I want you to be faithful in that. People are starving to death for the word of God. People are thirsty, Seth, for the spirit of God. Everyone I've invited, eight people, have told me immediately they'll come. No questions, no back and forth. 
People have been quarantined and caged and they're ready for a touch from God. You've got to invite them, amen? You've got to invite them. And I believe God's going to empower you to do that this week. Who can you bring? Who's your one? Before we go back into worship and I make my way to the lobby along with many of our leaders, I want to pray over you that God would give you the boldness to invite and invest this week. Would you lift up your hands in a place where you can receive? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful day, the anointing that I feel right now. Lord, this was not a performance. This was our greatest praise to you for what you've done for us. Lord, I speak boldness into the atmosphere today. Lord, I pray that the shyest person in this room would bring four families with them next week. I believe it can happen because it's not you doing it, friend. It's the Spirit of God in you. Lord, I speak boldness. I speak joy. I speak the wisdom of words. I speak favor. I speak divine opportunities and open doors. Lord, lead them right into someone that needs to be in a house of grace and receive the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, do what you do. I believe some of you, the Lord has put someone on your heart right now. Right now. You, their name is in your mind and your heart is burdened for their soul. The Lord's going to give you an opportunity this week to invite them. I challenge you I speak faith into you as your pastor. Holy Spirit, do it. Lord, let us not be so focused on family pictures and how we're dressed that we forget the price you paid and the mission you called us to. Forgive us for the times we have. Lord, we are going to win this city for Christ. And we're going to bring people into a house of grace to receive healing and hope. If you believe that, shout yes. yes. Hallelujah. Give God your greatest praise.